Well, my name is Adrian, one of the pastors here, and I get to preach today, so I'm excited about that. Uh, good morning. Welcome. I'm, I'm excited to share God's word with you here in the auditorium, or if you're watching online, or on TV. Um, and I want to start this way. Do you guys remember the World's Fair? Was anybody, has anybody ever been to a World's Fair? Every service, man. Very envious. I've been watching YouTube videos and looking at pictures, reading articles about them. They're fascinating. And if you don't know what they are, there are these exhibitions that happen in different cities around the world. And their heyday was 50 plus years ago. And each city would build this incredible building to show off the advances in architecture. So uh, structures like the Eiffel Tower, uh, the Space Needle in Seattle, uh, the Palace of Fine Arts in San Francisco, all structures made for the World's Fair to sort of like show off, like, look how awesome we are. Look at this awesome thing we made. And then the other thing was it was full of exhibits of, of you know, innovations in technology. And my favorite by far is the New York World Fair in 1964. Was anybody at that World Fair? Wow, awesome. Again, I'm envious. Uh, it was really, really cool. The coolest thing about it was that it happened in the 60s. Now, the 60s are before my time, if you couldn't tell. And uh, the cool thing about the 60s was, you know, they were going to space, they're making computers. It was this time where they, they were looking at the future and, like, they thought anything was possible. And so the World's Fair was a time to sort of show that off. And they were predicting what our lives would look like in the future. Like, uh, they thought we might live in homes that look like this underwater um, in this capsule under there. That seems like frightening to me, to be underwater. Or that our transportation would look different like this, the jet pack. Um, this guy's flying in 1964, which kind of blew my mind. But we, we're obviously not doing that. I don't know if he survived this ordeal. It's like a bomb strapped to his back. Uh, but they got some things wrong, but they did get some things right, or they were ahead of their time. Like this was the world's first video phone in 1964. What? <laughs> that doesn't seem possible to me. You could, they had one set up at the World's Fair and one set up at Grand Central Station. And for $14 in 1964, what today is like $150 or something, uh, you could talk to somebody on this phone, so you'd have to like tell your friend, hey, go to Grand Central Station, pay money to get there, then let's pay money to see each other and talk, like we're doing right now. But so they, they, it was this cool thing, they, they were advancing technology, and a thought came out of the 60s. It was this, that because of all this technology and all the advancement, our lives would look different. You'd work way, way less, and you'd play way, way more. <laughs> Not necessarily true today. Uh, to tell you what they really thought, I, I, I got some uh, archival footage, like news archival footage of two reputable sources, experts in the future, voices from the 60s. Watch this. Technology is opening a new world of leisure time. One government report projects that by the year 2000, the United States have a 30-hour work week and month-long vacations as the rule. A lot of this new free time will be spent at home. Well, do you feel better, dear? Huh? Who? Huh? Where am I? Oh, oh, I remember. Mr. Spacely was chasing me with a pitchfork. It's probably because he's been working you too hard. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know. Yesterday I worked two full hours. Well, what does Spacely think he's running? A sweatshop? Reputable sources. Walter Cronkite, America's most trusted man, and George Jetson, 
for those for those of you who are too young to remember this cartoon, basically, this was still on reruns when I was a kid. But you watch this cartoon, and it was like this is the future. The actual year is 2066, so we have some time. We might get there. But in the, in George Jetson's future, everything was automated. Robots did everything. Now we're not there yet. Kind of, you know, robots actually do exist. Uh, I found some some great video of. Ec- our world's greatest minds at work, building these robots that help your life and my life better today. Watch this. robots, robot vacuum. This is Dog on Roomba, a very popular video on the web. But listen, technology is, is cool. I mean, this robot that can vacuum your floor kind of uh, is cool, and at least it's fun for your dog. But has technology made our lives full of leisure? Like, do you have, like, this excess of vacation because of technology? No. It's the opposite, right? Think about this. You used to go to work to work. But now, if you want to work, you could work on the way to work. You could work on the way home from work. You could work at home. You could work at the dinner table. You could work in the bathroom, in line at the grocery store, in line at a restaurant. I mean, you can work anywhere. Some of you, I'm talking about work, and you thought, oh, i got to send that email. And right now, you're working. Right now, in church, you took out that device, and you're sending that email. Technology has, has allowed us to work anywhere. So what do we do? We work everywhere. Technology is squeezing out every ounce of time that we might have to to rest, to have any leisure, and we're filling it with work. So what does that mean for us? What does that mean for us today? Well, I invite you to grab the message notes that are in your bulletin if you haven't grabbed those already. Today, Empowered is the name of our series, and we're going to learn how we can be empowered through rest. Empowered through rest. Well, the first uh, thing you have to do is admit you have a problem, Okay. And this is the problem. We are restless. We are restless. Does that word describe you? Are you right now, is your, is your leg burning because that phone has some message that you have to get to and you cannot not check? When you take time off, do you feel less rested than when you were working? Does that last day of vacation feel like a dread to you? When you get back from your vacation, do you say the cliched, I need a vacation from my vacation? We're restless. Do you feel guilty for taking time off because you could be doing something? The reason is this. I think why we're in this place, why we're restless is, is this fact, that we find our identity, our value, our worth in what we do. There's something fueling that restlessness inside of us. And it's, it's the thought that, you know what? If I'm not doing something, I'm not worth anything. 
If I'm not working harder, I have no value. I gotta work, I gotta strive, I gotta try to be a better person, or at least be rich. <laughs> so we're restless today. So what's the answer to this? Because this is not just time off. Time off doesn't fix that problem, and robots obviously aren't gonna fix that problem. So what do we do? St. Augustine, an early Christian theologian, he wrote this, our hearts are restless until they can find rest in you. Our hearts are restless until they can find rest in you. So what's the solution to restlessness? It's pretty simple. It's rest. My outlines are a bit simple. You know, sometimes the most profound truths are the simple ones that we miss. Today we're going to look at how we can receive rest and practice rest. And we're going to look in uh, the Gospels in the book of Mark. If you have your Bible, you can pull that out. If your Bible's on your phone, I won't judge you. I won't think anything. Just pull it out. If on your tablet, don't worry about that. That's okay. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in front of you or if you're in the front row under you. It's also in your notes. It's, on the sc- it's everywhere. Okay, don't worry. It's somewhere. Uh, but let's read it together as I read it out loud. Here we go. Mark chapter 2. Sorry, I didn't tell you the verse. 2.23. Mark 2.23 through 27 goes like this. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisee said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat, and he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. All right, so what's going on here? Um, Before we we dive into the the scripture, we got to define the term Sabbath. You know, this this event is happening on the Sabbath, and Jesus mentions the Sabbath a couple times. So what is it? If you don't know, the Sabbath comes from the fourth commandment. Fourth commandment says, uh, you will work six days and you'll rest on the seventh, just like God did when he created the world. He, He created for six days and he rested on the seventh. And what was going on was Israel was in Egypt. They were in captivity. They were slaves. God rescued them. Uh, Moses went up to the mountain. God wrote down, listen, you've been slaves and you worked all day, every day for seven days. Here's a day off. You shall have a day off is what he gave them. And then what happened after that, there were rules put in place to make sure that they uh, took that day off. So from sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday, it was a Sabbath. They would eat a meal together, and in the morning on Saturday, they would go to church, to the, to the synagogue, come home and eat a meal, and that was their Sabbath. So this is when this uh, story is taking place. Jesus, on the Sabbath, was walking with his disciples, and they grabbed some grains of wheat, or some wheat, and then they crushed them. Another uh, Luke says they crush them, take out the kernels, and eat them. And the Pharisees, you know, they wig out like they always do. Now, I don't know about you, when I read the Bible for the first time, I was 12, I, just, I got saved and, and um, I started reading the Bible, and I'd never, I'd never read it before, and so it was this new experience. I was reading the Gospels, it was like I was reading like Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter, I'm like, what happens next? Whoa, he walks on water? Awesome. Now, every time I read it, though, when the Pharisees came up, I used to get mad as a kid. I'm like, what's their deal? Leave him alone, jeez. It's Jesus, man, it's so nice. What's your problem? And so in the same, you know, the same way we have this verse, 
It says Jesus and his disciples were working in some like walking through some field. In my imagination, this field is in the middle of nowhere, and these Pharisees are like hiding like in the in the wheat or like behind a tree, and they're just waiting. Like he's coming. Watch, watch. They're gonna do something. Aha! They ate the grain. Anybody like that in your life? Someone's like just waiting to like pounce on you. I have somebody like that. My mom. She doesn't have the internet, so she can't see this. But I'm sure she can hear me. So I love you, mom, wherever you are. <laughs> my mom, I love my mom. Uh, if you've ever heard me talk, I talk about her because she's funny. Uh, she's Korean, and that's why. It's just, <laughs> she's Korean. So it's crazy. I, you know, I, uh, this funny thing happens when we're in public and she's meeting somebody. She likes to brag about me. Like, you know, she tries to, like, talk me up, and I'm a pastor, and she's very proud of that fact. So anytime she comes into town, we go over the hill. Sunnyvale is sort of our, like, small Korea town, and there's, like, a few restaurants, supermarkets, and we'll go there. And we'll go, and she'll meet somebody, a Korean person, and, you know, introducing me. In Korean, she'll say, 내 아들 목사님이에요, which means my son is a pastor. But if she met you, she's like, hello, my son, pastor. Beautiful talking, Jesus talking. Hmm? You know, he church, big church, he play guitar, sing, number one. <laughs> Best. So nice boy. And she's like patting me on the butt. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> hi, nice to meet you. <laughs> but at home, it's a different story. She doesn't brag about me, she rags on me at home. She's just waiting, you know, if I say something that she thinks is, like, inappropriate, she'll, this is what she'll say. She'll say, Adrian, Adrian, it's Adrian in her Korean accent. Adrian, no, pastor can do that, okay? <laughs> She's using my, me being a pastor against me now. <laughs> well, like, we'll drive in a car, and I'll admit, I, if any place that I'm restless, it's in the car. I love you all. But on the road, <laughs> just let's be friendly. Because if you cut me off, I just, I'm going to admit and I will repent. I'm not gracious. I'm like very sarcastic. Like, oh, good job. Cut in front of me. Great job, buddy. You must got to go somewhere more important than I got to go. You probably have to go to the hospital. Something's wrong. I don't care. And then I do this move where like, <laughs> this is really bad. Especially if we're in traffic and they cut me off. I, <laughs> I start clapping like, really sarcastic, uh, sarcastically as I can, like, good job, you are such a great driver. Please don't go to Twin Lakes Church. <laughs> Hi, you were clapping at me last week? Oh, sorry. So my mom is sitting next to me and she says, Adrian, no, pastor, you pastor no do that kind. You can't talk in no nice to people. Why you not pray, huh? Jesus love you, something. <laughs> clapping? How come you clapping? You have to drive. You want to die? We're going to die. You're not driving. You have to drive your hand wheel. Huh? And I'm like, mom, they're being mean. And they're cutting in front of me. I don't care. And she goes, no. Pastor, no talking mommy that way. <laughs> So the Pharisees um, are <laughs> like attacking Jesus. 
And they're hiding behind this tree, and they're like, no. You can't do that, okay? So how does Jesus respond? He does better than I do, do with my mom. How does he respond? Well, he begins by reminding them this story in the Old Testament about David. Now, you got to remember, the Pharisees are like Old Testament experts. A lot of them have memorized the whole Old Testament, okay? So they know every. And th- it's funny, I'll, sometimes I think Jesus, like, like pokes at them because he goes, hey, have you ever read that thing about David? And they're like, oh, of course we read that thing about we know. I was like, oh, yeah, well, let me tell you about it. And so what he does, he tells them this story about David, and this is how it goes. David uh, was anointed king of Israel, but there was already a king, King Saul, and King Saul wasn't a fan of this thing, and so he tries to kill David. So David is on the run, and he's on the run. He's tired. He has guys with him, and he's, they're starving. And so they find the house of God. They go in, and they ask the priest, give us something to eat. And the, and the priest give him this special bread, this consecrated bread. It's called the bread of the presence. So he gives them this bread, and they eat it. And what Jesus says, that wasn't counted against them. That, the, the Bible doesn't say they ate this bread and so they sinned. So what was Jesus trying to say through this story? Well, I think there's two things he's, he's trying to tell the Pharisees. The first thing is this. He's telling the Pharisees, listen, you got the Sabbath twisted. The Sabbath was made to give people a day off. You made it about all the rules. David ate that bread that he wasn't supposed to eat that Sabbath worship rule that says he shouldn't eat that. Only the priests were supposed to eat this bread. He ate it because he was hungry. My disciples, it's the Sabbath, but they ate because they're hungry. Because the Sabbath is about restoration. The Sabbath is about rest. It's not about following every single detailed rule. And how does he, what does he say after the story? He says, listen, because the Sabbath was made for man, not the other way around. So he's sort of like reminding the Pharisees what the Sabbath is all about. And the second thing he's doing, which is to me a very profound thing, is he's telling them a new truth about the Sabbath that they, they're not realizing. you got to remember this. In the Old Testament, everything points to Jesus. From creation to Christmas, every ceremony, every ritual, every sacrifice, every story is pointing to the one who's coming to save the world. And so now we look at the story, and you gotta, you got to have that in mind and see what is, who, what is this doing, but it's pointing to Jesus. This bread that David ate, it was called the bread of the presence. You know what that bread represented? That bread represented, in this worship service, it represented God's presence with us here on earth. It represented God's relationship with man on earth. Because who do you break bread? Who do you eat a meal with? People you love, right? People you care about, your family, your friends, people you're in relationship with. So that bread represented God with us. And so Jesus is saying, listen, the Sabbath, the day of the Sabbath, that rest, that bread even, is pointing to something coming. And what does he say at the end of of this whole uh, passage? The Son of Man is Lord, even on the Sabbath, of the Sabbath. The Son of Man is Jesus. And so he's telling the Pharisees, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath points to me. That bread points to me. Think about this. That bread represents God with us. Was anybody else called God with us? Jesus. Remember Emmanuel, God with us. He's also referred to as the bread of life. That bread that gave David life and sustenance was pointing to the bread of life that was to come. So what does that tell us about rest? What does this teach us about rest? It's a simple fact. If you want to write this down, If you want rest, you have to go to Jesus. 
if you want rest, you have to go to Jesus. When I was a kid, uh, I went to church, and they said, if you get asked a question at church, say Jesus, you'll be right most of the time. <laughs> Today's the day. If you want rest, where do you go? Jesus. That's right. You're right. Good job. <laughs> he says it himself, Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you what? Rest. Burdened, weary, from sin, from rules, from legalism, from restlessness. I will give you rest. And he's not talking about physical rest. When I, when I was talking about restlessness, it's not just you need time off from work. You need time off from your duties, your tasks. There's something deep inside that, that desire to prove yourself. He's saying you can have rest from that. Uh, he furthers this, this, this truth gets further uh, taught in Hebrews uh, chapter 4. And we're going to look at this scripture. You've got to remember the, the um, book of Hebrews is a letter to people who believed in Jesus, but they thought they had to do more stuff. Like, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but I, you know what? I don't deserve it. I've got I to gotta work for it. And the book of Hebrews is a, book, is a letter saying, listen, Jesus is enough, okay? He is enough. Watch this. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 9 through 10. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. This is referencing creation. Remember creation? God created the world in six days in Genesis, that account. And then he rested on the seventh. Now, why did he rest? Was he tired? No. Do you remember what he said after he created stuff? What did he say? It is good. It is very good. And then he rested. You know why he rested? Because he was satisfied. The work that needed to be done was done. He was, he was happy. It was good. It was very good. So he was like, I'm done. I'm, I'm going to rest. And so he says that to you today in this verse. When you enter Sabbath rest, true rest, rest that comes from Jesus, you can rest from your work because I did the work. Jesus' death on the cross, his resurrection, that work is complete and grants you true rest. He looks at your life because of Jesus. When you accept him and trust him, he looks at your life and he says, you know what he says? I'm satisfied with your life. Now, I know some of you are like, uh, but I'm not satisfied with my life. I could pray more. I could, I could read the Bible more. I could serve more. I could give more. I could do more. I there's no way he's satisfied with me. But he, he's saying, no, listen, look, when you enter my rest, the work is done. Because I did it. You can find rest in him. And once you grasp that truth, that true rest comes from Jesus, deep soul rest comes from Jesus, then when you take time off and you have physical rest, it restores you. It, 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 you feel rested. <laughs> It's kind of like sleep. You know, sleep experts say that you, it's not just the length of time you sleep, but it's the depth of sleep, right? You have to enter a certain kind of sleep. Does anybody know what that is? REM, right? R-E-M, rapid eye movement. It's, it's when you enter that deep sleep that your heart rate slows, your breathing slows. I remember when I was a kid and I'd be at a sleepover and, you know, there's like a few guys and you're sleeping and you hear somebody start breathing slower. You're like, he's asleep. Now let's go mess with him. And you like draw stuff on his face and like... 
Want to put shaving cream on his, in his eyeballs? And I don't know. We did crazy stuff. Don't fall asleep first. But basically, it was, you, you knew he was sleeping because that his, his body was like giving up to sleep. God is saying, when you enter my rest, it is a deep sleep where you can just let go. And then when you take time off, you'll get rested. And that time is a gift. You, you know, Jesus didn't say to the Pharisees, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath, so now the Sabbath is done. You don't have to do it. He was doing it. He was practicing the Sabbath that day. He went to synagogue. He was walking, and, and he was following, uh, you know, most of the rules. Because he's, he's saying, yeah, you find deep rest in me, but you still need rest. Your body needs rest. So the Sabbath, the day, the day off is a gift to you. So how do we receive that gift? How do we receive and practice that gift? Well, number one, rest. <laughs> I feel like I've said that word a lot in this sermon. Uh, it's simple, rest. Take a Sabbath. Take time off. It's a gift. Take, receive that gift. You know, work is creeping more and more into our time off from work or our tasks are creeping in. You know why there were rules put on the Sabbath in the, in, in, uh, the Old Testament? Because God knew. He's like, if I give these people a day off, they're going to work. They're going to do something. They're going to mow the lawn or whatever, the, push the sand around or whatever they do, <laughs> their chores. I, I have to stop them. God is saying, take time off. There, you know, there was no day off before this. Everybody in the world worked seven days a week. And God's like, my people, listen, I got it. You can take a day off, rest. Everybody in the world was working, you know, making idols, making pyramids, making statues, making, you know, whatever to prove themselves and, and to honor, get favor from the gods. And God, God is saying, listen, Israelites, I'm God and I got the world. It'll turn. The sun will rise. You can rest. Take a nap. Look at this verse I found. I, I, might, I didn't find it. It's in the, you can find it. It's in Psalm 127. I read it. Psalm 127, 2, watch this. For he grants sleep to those he loves. You know what that says? Sleep is a gift. You know, he could have made sleep 10 minutes and then you're fully restored. But for some reason, we have to sleep like 7 to 10 hours for like optimal sleep, you know. Why? Because it's a gift to you. I love sleep. I didn't get any last night because we have kids who have not received the gift. Who don't understand <laughs> this beautiful gift. Go to sleep. Tired. <laughs> Get rest. Take a nap. You know why? Because the world's not going to end. You can stop. You need rest. Number two, you need to refocus. One of the main reasons we have the Sabbath is to worship. And you're doing that today. You're coming. You're, you could be doing a million things, right? But you're here together and we're worshiping. Good job. You're practicing the Sabbath. But take time to worship God. You know, there's an interesting trend in the American church that says that Average attendance now is once a month for a regular attender or even members of churches. Now, I'm not, trying to, I'm, not saying, I'm not saying that to make you feel bad or say you have to have perfect attendance here. We're not keeping track. There's no cameras, right, uh, in here. What I'm saying, why I say that is that is just a, a sign of, of our times, that we're getting so busy that we've pushed out worship of God. You know, when God gave Israel the Sabbath, they worked every day. They were slaving. They were slaves, literal slaves, working in the sun all day, 
seven days a week. So when they got home, they slept and they were dead. They couldn't worship. They're too tired. So he's like, I want you to worship me. Here's a day off. So God gives you this day off to worship him. And, and you know what? There are times you can't make it to church, and that's understandable. I mean, like me, I, I'm not, this is not my Sabbath. I'm working right now. I got to take another day. And so I know tomorrow I got to start my day with worship. I got I to read the Bible and, and meditate. I got to pray. I got to listen to worship. I got to go outside and breathe in the air and say, God, thank you. Worship. Refocus your mind on the Sabbath. Number three, recreation. God wants you to have fun. Sometimes we think he doesn't. Like, he just wants us to follow these rules. I think he wants you to have fun. He gave you a day off. Have fun. <clears throat> like Jesus, when I read the Bible, Jesus seems like a fun guy to me. I mean, there's a story where, there's this time in the Gospels where these kids want to come to him, and the disciples are like, no, kids, you can't go to Jesus. He's too busy. And Jesus is like, get out of the way. Come on, kids. Let's play. Tag, or what do they play back then? Like, herd the sheep. Let's herd the sheep, you know, or... <laughs> Whatever, let's part the seas. Let's walk on water. <laughs> He's playing with the kids. He went to parties. He went to one wedding that we know of, right? I'm sure he went to, he probably went to some more. Not only did he go to the wedding, but when the wedding was almost done because the wine ran out, he's like, oh, okay, I got it. Here you go. Here's one. They're like, yo, Jesus, good job. Let's keep the party going. Uh, when, you know, the disciple Matthew, when he called Matthew, that night he went to his house for a party or a dinner. And the Bible says that sinners and tax collectors went to that, to that house. And the Pharisees are like, how can you eat with them? You know what that sounds like to me? A rager. <laughs> like what happened was Matthew told a friend, like, hey, man, Jesus, come, we're going to have dinner. Like, oh, cool. And then he invited a friend. And then some other guy invited a friend. And by the end, it was like this crazy party. And Pharisees are like, no, you can't do that. And she's like, listen, we're just having fun. Now, what I am not advocating is you go tonight and just like, go crazy, uh, clubbing or whatever, and like, go, like, the point of this, 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 uh, these stories is that Jesus was about rest, and he was about fun. He was about, you know, when he, remember when he fed the 5,000? If you read that part of, uh, of the Bible, right before that, there was all these crowds, and Jesus told his disciples, I mean, it's, it's really crazy, let's get in a boat, and let's go somewhere to rest. That's what he says. Because he's like, he, he understands, and he wants us to have rest. Have fun. What is that in your life? What's fun in your life? Do it. God made the world for you to enjoy it. Some of you surf. Some of you mountain bike. Enjoy. If that's what you like, do it. Have fun. It's okay. Don't feel guilty because you're not doing something more productive. That is productive because it's restoring you. I, I was thinking to myself, what do I like? I love, I, I love, one of the things I love is watching a movie and eating Chinese food at the same time at our house with my family or my wife. For a long time, since we've been dating, it's like, one of my favorite things. It's so much so that our Christmas night tr tradition is to get takeout Chinese and watch a movie. You know why? So nobody has to cook a turkey or we just eat and have fun. This Friday, I was working in the office. I get home and Jamie's like, what do you want to do? And you're like, you know what? I want to watch a movie and get Chinese food. <laughs> so we got Chinese food. We watched some dumb action movies that you don't have to think about. Just, things are blowing up. And we're like, let's just eat food. <laughs> It was fun, and I felt restored. I'm like, oh, I feel great right now. Because <laughs> I have to think, what is that in your life? Have fun. Number four, relationship. Another <clears throat> critical thing about the Sabbath is uh, spending time together. In the original Sabbath, 
you had a meal at, at, you know, at, at night. And then you go to synagogue together as a family. And, and then you're with the church family there. And then you go home and have a meal as a family. You know, God put all these, he, one of the rules was you can't cook on the Sabbath. You know why he did that? For people like my mom. Because if you come to my house for dinner, my mom, she doesn't eat. She'll make food, put it out while you're eating, and then she'll go back to make some other stuff. She makes way too much food. Like when Jamie and I started dating, she's like, why is she not sitting down? I'm like, that's what she does. God, God knew that if he didn't put that rule in, the moms and the grandmas, whoever the cooks are in the family, would be in the, in the kitchen while everybody else is resting. God said, you got to cook on Friday so that after church on, sun, on Saturday, you get home, just eat and enjoy time together. God wants you to be in relationship. Mark talked about it last week. We are empowered through community. Community is so important in our lives. Spend time with your family. Spend time with your loved ones. Come to church to, to be part of this greater community here. Worship God together. Be in relationship. Play a board game. Go, go out to eat. Whatever you do, don't plan all your next tasks and vacations and, and fill that time with tasks and work but just enjoy each other. We rest, we refocus, we have recreation, and we do that in relationship. Why? Because it's a gift. God gifted you the Sabbath. Like I said, the weekend didn't exist before the Sabbath. You know that phrase, TGIF, thank God it's Friday? That's a literal thing. Yeah, thank God it's Friday, because there'd be no Saturday or Sunday without God, without the Sabbath. He made the weekend. Thanks. And he made it one day, somebody made it two days. You guys are like, awesome. Thank you, God. And whoever. Well, Jesus. Yeah, he made the Sunday one. So do it. It's a gift to you. Take it. But remember this. That physical rest, that time off, it, it'll only work. It'll only restore you fully and for any real length of time if you have deep rest in Jesus. And remember this. You remember I said the Old Testament points to Jesus? When you practice the Sabbath, when you take time off and you rest, not only are, are, you, are you doing something good for yourself, but you're reminding yourself of the rest we have in Jesus. You're reminding yourself of, 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 of the rest from our work, of our, of our effort to prove ourselves to God that we have because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So today I leave you with his words. Come to me, all you who are weary, and burdened, and I will give you rest. May you enter into the rest of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. You are so good. You are gracious. You care for our souls and our spirits, but you also care for our bodies and our lives and our minds. You gave us a day off, and we thank you for that. You care about us like a, like a father cares, even the little things. God, my prayer is that we would learn to trust in you and the rest that you provide through Jesus Christ. And listen, with our eyes closed, if you're here today and, and you, maybe you've never done that, maybe you've never trusted in Jesus, you've never entered in that rest he offers, I invite you today to do it. It is incredible where you can stop your efforts in trying to prove yourself to yourself or to other people or to God. God offers you a rest from that restless, unending work through Jesus Christ. So if that's you today, all you have to do is trust in him. Say, God, I give you my life. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins, rising from the dead. God, I believe in you. 
you do that, you can enter into God's true Sabbath rest. So, Father, we thank you. We worship you. We find our rest in you. Thank you for completing the work of the world and of our salvation. You are good. In Jesus' name.